Hello, this is Harry Kaysen, and on today's film review show, I'm highlighting four new movies for the month of February 2024. And those films are After Yang, The Contractor, Sound of Freedom, and the one film I'm saving for the end to hopefully keep you curious enough to stay tuned in. And as always, I'll be interviewing one of my esteemed pals from the world of media. Stick around. It's time for Movie Night. As I've said, I'm Harry Kaysen, and this show is Movie Night here on WOMR and WFMR. I've been a writer, director, and actor in Hollywood, though I'm now thrilled to call Cape Cod my home sweet home. Why the title Movie Night? Well, that's K-N-I-G-H-T, a defender of the realm. The realm being the movie realm, as it were. My opinions are mine and mine alone, and the one thing I won't be doing is handing out negative reviews. That's because I know firsthand how challenging it can be to bring a film, any film, to life. And this vaunted radio station, WOMR, is such a beacon of positivity, I want to honor that noble legacy, like a good movie night should. I will also be interviewing a friend from the world of media. He is Steve Avison, a news anchorman for 30 years at ABC New York and Atlanta, at Fox and NECN in Boston, at CBS in Providence, and at NBC in San Francisco. He's also an adjunct professor at Roger Williams University in Rhode Island and Wheelock College in Boston. He and I got into show business at the same time, his world being the news, mine being the movies. Stay tuned to hear if and how those worlds overlap. First up is After Yang. It was written by Alexander Weinstein and Kogo Nada, and it was directed by Kogo Nada. It stars Colin Farrell, Jody Turner-Smith, Justin H. Min, and Malaya Emma Jandrawijaja. Now, this film is a few years old, but it's recently become available in this country. The story is set some years in the near future, and Colin Farrell and Jody Turner-Smith play Jake and Kira, parents of an adopted Chinese girl, Mika. They have purchased an artificial human as a sort of big brother to their little girl, and he is Yang, played by Justin H. Min. Well, Yang starts to get glitchy. Robo-apocalypse? No, it's not that. Not even close. This film goes to places I never expected it to go. Yang, the robot, basically shuts down, and Jake goes on a quest to get him fixed as their little girl is heartbroken at the loss of her robot big brother. But there are technical difficulties, and unforeseen hurdles in taking Yang apart. Firewalls, protections on information Yang has in his memory, that sort of thing. But still, this is not, oh, what a ticking time bomb, oh, what a monster we have in our midst. This story is much more subtle than that. And just what is in Yang's memory? Well, that's where the story lies. Colin Farrell gives a gentle, well-calibrated performance here in keeping with the quiet and even serene template the director Kogo Nada sets, and Jody Turner-Smith is right there with him. And as the little girl, Malaya Emma Jandrawijaja, <laughs> try saying that three times fast, <laughs> is pretty much perfect. The director, Kogo Nada, is Korean-American, his birth name being Lee Jun-Yoon Park. His nom de plume refers to the late cinematographer for the Japanese auteur, director Ozu. True movie nerds like me know Ozu was prized for his quiet and poetic films that shed light on the human heart. That's what this film does, too. I think what this film is saying is, what do you do with immortality? If you're an entity like Yang that can practically live forever, 
How many lives will you touch? The answer is surprising. I was moved by this film in its intricacy and its humanity. The director has only done a few films at this point in his career, though he's done a number of video installations and art pieces. I look forward to his new work, as I consider him an artist to watch after Yang. Available on Prime Video. The next movie here on Movie Night is The Contractor. It was written by J.P. Davis and was directed by Tarek Saleh. It stars Chris Pine, Kiefer Sutherland, Ben Foster, Jillian Jacobs, and Nico Woolard. This movie is the exact opposite in type from the one I was just reviewing. This is action-adventure intrigue with the emphasis on action. It's quite violent, but to be fair, it's not gratuitous. Chris Pine plays James, a special agent working for the U.S. government. He's highly trained in exfiltration and weapons usage, but his body's been damaged by his work. It's tough to be one of these guys. He is in such pain, he injects himself with a drug that's not authorized. The drug shows up on a random drug test, and he's released, basically fired with no benefits. Now, as James has a family to support, and he's heard the private sector can use guys with his skill set, he starts turning over leads. One of those leads happens to be an old special ops buddy, Mike played by Ben Foster. Turns out there's a job about to go down, and James would be a good fit. What James doesn't know is how sticky it's all going to get. The basic plot is certainly one of those so-called 36 possible storylines writers sometimes refer to. What made this interesting to me is Chris Pine. When he's serious, as he is here, he can be quite compelling. And the fact that Ben Foster is along for the ride makes it even better. These two teamed up as bank-robbing brothers in Hell or High Water some years back, and they made a terrific pair as they do here. There's no real message. We're just on a special ops gone wrong and wondering how our hero was going to live through this. Think Mission Impossible on a smaller scale, and the mission is saving one's own skin. It's a tight, gripping thriller with twists and turns and fine work all around, especially from budding director Tariq Saleh. Chris Pine and Ben Foster make it all worthwhile. The Contractor on Paramount+. Plus. The next film is Sound of Freedom. It was written by Rod Barr and Alejandro Monteverde and was directed by Alejandro Monteverde. It stars Jim Caviezel, Mira Sorvino, Lucas Avila, and Crystal Aparicio. This film was actually made a few years back but had a delayed release due to the studio, Fox, being bought by Disney. This is a true story of an American homeland security investigator played by Jim Caviezel. Through a series of events, he is involved in identifying and arresting persons involved with child pornography and worse. I know, tough stuff, but here are the basics. Homeland Security agent Tim Ballard, played by Jim Caviezel, is tracking down solicitors of child pornography. In so doing, he uncovers a sex slave ring utilizing children, children from all over the world. Agent Ballard helps to free one little boy, Miguel. And Miguel then tells Agent Ballard his little sister, Rocio, has also been abducted into that same system. Agent Ballard is a family man with children of his own, and he is so personally outraged, he eventually not only gives up his job to dedicate himself to breaking up as much of this ring as possible, but he goes on a personal and very dangerous quest to find this little girl. The fact that this type of slave ring even exists, that there are actually thousands of of abducted children worldwide, girls and boys, is shocking enough, 
but that one man recruiting help from many sources and many governments has decided to make a real difference in regarding this monstrous plague. This is the reason for this film to exist. Jim Caviezel as Ballard is, as always, intense and focused, and the two kids who are featured, Lucas Avila and Crystal Aparicio, are heartbreakingly real and realized. Caviezel, by the way, is so dedicated to this real-life cause that he's been appearing on numerous talk shows with the person he's portraying, Tim Ballard, to not only promote the movie, but to promote the organization Tim Ballard is now spearheading. As I said, this is tough stuff, but it's incredibly compelling, and the lengths to which the character of Tim Ballard goes is beyond inspiring. This is truly a case of, you want to see a difference in the world? Be the difference. This is a -a one-of-a-kind film, riveting, uplifting, and triumphantly courageous. Sound of Freedom, available on Prime Video. It's time for my honored guest. He is Steve Avison, who was a television news anchorman for the last several decades in New England, Baltimore, Atlanta, and San Francisco. He's also an adjunct professor in Rhode Island and Boston. I'm privileged to have been friends with Steve for over 50 years, and we talk about movies all the time, both of us having started out as actors back in our college days. How close is the news to movies? Well, we'll find out. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Avison. So here we are with my friend, Mr. Steve Avison. Steve, how are you? I'm doing great, Harry. Oh, great to great. hear your voice. That's great. Uh, as you know, this show is about movies and and such. And I've always been fascinated by the parallel between the news media and uh, the entertainment media. Sometimes they cross the line, sometimes they don't. Um, it, an example of that, uh, actors, which you have been, still are, uh, sometimes receive direction on their performances, uh, notes, so to speak. Does that happen to news anchors? Do you get notes? You certainly have got uh, uh, evaluations, but do they ever say, hey, talk slower, talk faster, talk louder, talk softer? I would say rarely. I think that some of the um, the more sophisticated uh, platforms will have coaches who give some support to correspondents and anchors and that sort of thing, but it does not happen on a regular basis, and it rarely it plays a role in the news, uh, you know, biosphere. It's all about the facts, and okay. uh, if you stumble over a word or if you misspeak or you whatever, that's more important than whether or not you're a, a deep voiced person or a quick speaker or something like that. Or overly emotional. I mean, I've seen some news people that just get a little too carried away and I thought someone needs to tamp this person down. Here's a famous story along those lines. Um, When Ronald Reagan was shot, uh, there was a a fatality. A a Secret Service person, Mike McCarthy, was was killed. Um, And uh, the president, of course, was taken to the hospital. And his um, press secretary, do you remember the press secretary's name, Harry? Mm -mm. Nope. James Brady. Oh, James Brady, the Brady Law, yeah. Of course. And James Brady was shot uh, in the spine and in the head. And on national television, uh, Frank Reynolds is reporting what has happened in real time, breaking news. And at some point, he puts his hand up to his ear. He says, hold on, wait one second. I, I, yes, we've just got this in from the hospital. Okay, James Brady, 
Press Secretary James Brady has died. And it was a somber moment. Um, and the storytelling continued. And then within 90 seconds, Frank Reynolds puts his finger up to his ear again. What? I'm sorry, say that again. I'm sorry, James Brady. I'm sorry. James Brady is not dead. James Brady is alive and will continue to cover the story. Damn it, get it right. Damn it, get it right. <laughs> and, you know, he was understandably upset, but for a couple of days, Frank Reynolds was was given a timeout. Because I bet he, so. had, he had lost his composure. And in retrospect, I think, well, gosh, you know, he was all he was doing was compelling his team to get it right. Do better. And they they didn't on that occasion. Yeah, so, that's wow, interesting. Rare, rarely happens. People do sometimes tear up in the middle of difficult times. Walter, yeah, with JFK, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. All right, uh, and, a, and a related story, a related aspect. Um, as movies tell a story, so does the news, though uh, we both know that the news is mostly telling facts. But as movies tell a story through a point of view, the news must tell a point of view also. Were, were there noticeable differences in the points of view exhibited in the different stations you were at? You know, I have to honestly say not. Um, and I worked for Fox Television on a local level. And um, in order to uh, make money on the local level, you have to appeal to the audience that's there. And if they're coming to you for news, it's not really in your interest to... Um, have a point of view. I think that when Fox Television began as a um, a cable option, uh, there were some very strong options already on the table. And so in order to get a little piece of the pie, Fox News and Fox Television took an alternative approach. And the alternative approach was to counter-program. So whatever the other guys had something on television whether it was entertainment or news, they would kind of do something just slightly different in order to counter program. And get, they'll take whatever slice of the pie they could possibly get. So if the Super Bowl was on one of the major networks, they would do something different just to appeal to the people who could care less about football. And they'd be happy with their little slice of the pie. On the news side, and part of this may be a reflection of their owner, Rupert Murdoch, who did have a conservative uh, outlook on life, um, they, they said, you know what, with Roger Ailes at the helm, let's just go rock and roll in, in a strong singular direction. And at least people will know that they can always come to us for a specific reason and they'll get it. And so they began their, their, um, I think what most people regard as a kind of a right leaning or a conservative, uh, point of view approach. Okay. Okay. Um, obviously, we're living in a very visual society, a very visual world these days, and movies are being told with smaller and smaller cameras, even with phones. Uh, and that must be happening in the news media, too. And, and I've seen many times when there's been some civilian who has taken some footage that's gotten on the news. Do you feel the overwhelming amount of visual possibilities has cut back on the need for quality journalism? Do you need to write great, gripping copy? Now that you've got all this on-site video coming in from all directions at once? That's a, a powerful insight into the world that we live in. We've got a bunch of different platforms. But I do remember that there were certain stories, certain turns of phrase that some of these newsmen would use that were really gripping, that really captured an audience. And they didn't have 
10,000 feet of footage to show. So they were trying to tell you this is an important story and here's why and using journalism. And I'm just wondering if you think journalism has suffered. Two things. One, I think you're commanding our attention to the important uh, combination of writing and pictures. Mm -hmm. And pictures do tell a, a story quicker, faster, maybe not better, but if you're saying uh, that perhaps there's less uh, effort being put into the composition of words, I think you're right. Um, but as far as journalism is concerned, at the end of the day, it really is about the facts. Just the facts, please. I think the pictures that you're talking about coming from so many different places, from citizen journalists and beyond, make a powerful contribution to our understanding of what's going on because to some degree pictures don't lie um you can just make your own conclusions as a viewer but as a journalist your job is to just put forth that which you can confirm you know there have been there have been some early images in the war in ukraine where they were showing explosions that didn't happen in ukraine at all oh. and it's up to a journalist or a journalistic outlet to clarify and be sure that that is accurate okay. um, and confirmable. Now, on a lighter vein here, uh, being on the set of a major motion picture, I've been on a couple of the major ones, it can truly feel like you're in, in the middle of an epic. I mean, it can almost be kind of overwhelming. There's so many people, there's so much going on. Now, speaking of epics, you've been on the ground to cover the Super Bowl and the Olympics. How do you keep your focus when you're in the middle of all of that hoopla? Good question, wow. Um, it's hard, but you know, across 40 years, I've been a lot of different places. Yeah. I've, I've been in just about every state as a newsman, um, and in, in, you know, two dozen countries. Um, and when you're in the middle of a very exciting thing, I have to say that the discipline is, is, is pretty much steely. You know, I'd love to enjoy the Super Bowl. I'd love to be present to some event like like a, a political convention from a partisan point of view or a personal point of view, but I can't. My job is to just the facts it. And <laughs> so I've got to keep my eye on the ball and make sure that I'm I'm telling the story that I'm going to be responsible for. And that's only going to be anywhere from, you know, 40 seconds to a minute or two. And so you, you got to keep your eye out constantly to make sure you've got the story captured correctly so you're the, um, you're the you're the wedding photographer at a 300 person wedding wow good way to put it i love it yeah so steve yeah. um what movies have you seen in the last several years or so or even more recently than that that uh shine a uh a, a light on what it's really like to be uh a, a part of a news team to be an anchorman to be a reporter to be a journalist yeah i mean documentaries of course always always hit it out of the park that way but but like you, I love the movies. I just love the entertainment of the movies. And when it kind of dovetails into my world, it makes me pretty happy. You know, I remember uh, when I was really young, seeing all the president's men and thinking, wow, is, is that the way it is? And then when I get involved in the business and it turns out to be pretty close to accurate. Um, I think that the movie most recently, I suppose that, that uh, captured my attention was Spotlight. Mm -hmm. Was it true to form? Was it was that what the world is really like? Absolutely, it, re it really was. I mean, again, not a documentary, but a very convincing and successful, uh, you know, insight into 
what it, what it takes to put the time and the hours in to get it right. You don't just, you know, you're curious about the story. Well, did something really bad happen in the Catholic Church? But then you get not one, not two, but three sources to make sure that you're darn clear about a horrific story and then bring it to light and share it with people because you've got those multiple sources that that prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that these facts existed and um and that movie really was compelling for that reason to me they did their work they did it right that's great well in that same vein uh speaking of documentaries uh the a lot of documentary filmmakers feel the reason they do what they do is because they want to make a difference they want to tell a story that needs to be told and make the world a better place what stories in your storied career have you covered or uncovered that might fall into that category? I suppose if there's a dramatic um, bit of storytelling, it would be back with Columbine. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in New York working for ABC News at the time. And, you know, there had been a few school shootings before then, Paducah, Kentucky and Pearl, Mississippi. Um, I had gone to, to cover those stories. So I was kind of the terrorist, the school terrorism guy. And all of a sudden up comes this story in Colorado. Avison, you got to get on an airplane. You got to get out to Colorado. And I did. And it was, it was just, it was devastating again. Uh, I was there for six days. And the, the question that everyone wonders is why? What caused this to happen? What, you know, how did they get the guns? Why did they need to do that? And um, it, the first instincts on a lot of people's parts is to say, well, these, this is the demon seed. These individuals are extreme and separate, bad kids. Yeah, they're separate bad. from us. And um, if I felt good about one thing during that tragic time, it was to at least shed a little bit of light um, on the fact that these two were not alone in their feelings of alienation uh, they had been targeted as uh, they had been bullied, basically, by certain members of the, the school community. And there were some other families that were horrified by the outcome, but who felt that their children had gone through some of the same abuse, same bullying, and they weren't defending it in any way, shape, or form. But they certainly raised the idea that... Um, there are initiatives that lead to consequences. And, um, you know, not a lot of people wanted to, to hear that there was a, an explanation about it that was as simple as bullying in the school. Mm -hmm. But but I felt good about that, the, the, the response to that, because there, there are people across the country who have kids who go through difficult times and how schools and communities handle it is really important. Since this is a movie review show, uh, what were your favorite films in the last uh, the last year? I would say I liked Oppenheimer an awful lot. Um, I'm in the minority in my household, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I liked it an awful lot. Um, you know, I like Barbie as well. But I'll say my number one film from 2023 um, was a was a was a tiny film, and it was a documentary. It's American Symphony. Well, there we go. Uh, all right, Steve. Well, thank you so very, very much for your time and your effort and your uh, intellect. And it's uh, it's a shame you're not still on the air as an anchorman. I want to listen to you tell me the news. Would you please just call me and do that on a regular basis? Anytime you call, I will answer the movie night. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Bye. See ya. 
now for the final review today, my favorite film this month, a documentary, Man on the Run. It was written by Cassius Michael Kim, Carl Dawson, and Elise Shoreland, and it was exec produced and directed by Cassius Michael Kim. This is the true story of a still-to-be-settled international financial shocker that took place in Malaysia a few years back, a 1MDB scandal. It not only involved several high-powered international businessmen, but all the way up to the Prime Minister of Malaysia at the time, Najib Razak. The scope of this, as we are shown via official documents and interviews with many of the major players, is almost beyond comprehension. The bald-faced brazenness of these crooks goes beyond anything in recent memory. Malaysia is what is referred to as a developing country, and to see actual evidence and testimony from those involved kept me wide-eyed in disbelief. There are tens of millions, hundreds of millions, even thousands of millions of dollars involved. That translates to billions with a B, all of it stolen. Though it's halfway around the world, there becomes a very strong U.S. connection. One of these shameless bandits who appropriated money meant to bolster the development of Malaysia's teetering infrastructure starts tossing his ill-gotten gain around Hollywood just for the fun of it. This man is Joe Lowe, a Chinese national who loves to party, and we see him partying with major celebs like Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, Jamie Foxx, and Leonardo DiCaprio, all of whom Joe Lowe is actually paying hundreds of thousands of dollars just to appear at his lavish parties around the world. Hell, he even pays Britney Spears $1 million just to jump out of a giant birthday cake. And it's all with someone else's money. Joe Lowe even uses this fund to help finance the movie Wolf of Wall Street. We see real footage of Leo actually thanking this crook in his Golden Globes speech. Huh. Did any of these celebs even know where their payday originated? Did any of these celebs return calls to the filmmakers about this? What do you think? We also witness the waiting for conviction prime minister, Najib Razak, as he calmly gives an interview to the filmmakers, claiming he was simply ill-advised and had no idea what was really going on, even though at one point during the scandal, he blithely deposits a check to himself from this people's account for over $600 million. This mushrooms into the largest case of kleptocracy the world has ever known. And this J. Lo character, where the hell is he supposed to be? Oh, he's the man on the run. Documentaries can be cut and dried on occasion, but not this one. It's visually fascinating throughout, and that this stolen money was spent partly in America is what brings our government into play, thankfully. This is a real-life procedural thriller with about as high a financial stake as can be imagined. You think you've seen brazen criminals? You ain't seen nothing yet. Man on the Run, on Netflix. By the way... If you'd like to track down previous episodes of Movie Night, go to Google Play or the App Store for iPhones and download the WOMR app. There's lots of fun stuff waiting for you there. All of it free of charge. Well, that's it for February. A thank you to Steve Avison and to my esteemed colleagues at WOMR and WFMR for the opportunity to be a part of this circus of sound and sensation. With a special thanks to John Braden, our executive director, and Matthew Dunn, our technical supervisor. And of course, a thank you to my wife, Lynn, for joining me on these cinematic adventures. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. Harry Kaysen here, your movie night. Goodbye, 
and good movies.